Hi, everyone. This is America Adapts, the climate change podcast. Hey, Adapters, welcome back to the Year in Review, episode 2020. It's been a crazy year and generally an awful year for many people. That said, we kept at it on the podcast, and I've had many lively and fascinating conversations with some climate experts. I've been doing these remotely since the beginning, so that wasn't a hard transition. It's an annual tradition doing these year-in-review episodes, and in this episode, I have on Dr. Ladd Keith, an urban planning professor at the University of Arizona. Also joining me is Dakota Larrick, a graduate student who is finishing her master's thesis on human adaptations to the landscape in the southern Great Plains at the University of Oklahoma. I love doing these episodes. It's a laid-back conversation for me and a chance to reflect on the year. Talk about the podcast and learn what my guests have to say about the podcast and the top climate stories of the year. Okay, adapters, let's get going with Lad and Dakota and review the year in climate change for 2020. Hey, adapters, I have an exciting episode for you. Joining me is Dakota Larrick, a graduate student at the University of Oklahoma, who is finishing her master's thesis on human adaptations to the landscape in the southern Great Plains. Also joining me and returning guest is Dr. Lad Keith. Ladd is an assistant professor in planning and chair of sustainable built environments at the University of Arizona. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hey, happy to hey, be Doug. here. All right. Very excited to have you guys on. A little bit different here. We have a student and we have a professor, so I think that's going to be fun. And I want to just frame this up for my listeners real quick. This is my year in review, kind of the year in episode, and this is a chance for me and my guest to kind of take our, our you know, What's the expression? Just our hats off or no, our <laughs> more formal ways of kind of doing the podcast. But we're going to have some substantive conversations here for you. But this this is like a fun episode for me. And I appreciate Lad and Dakota coming on. And on that note, Dakota, can you give us a bit more background on yourself? Yeah, uh, definitely. Yep. I am uh, finishing my master's at the University of Oklahoma. I study, um, like you said, how people were adapted to the landscape um, in a certain area of the Southern Plains around 10,000 years ago. With my PhD, I hope to engage more um, in terms of, with archaeology, in terms of applying it to environmental sustainability or climate change adaptation. And there's so many routes that I could go down, such as the route that Marcy is going down, Marcy Rockman, who you had on in the past. She is my hero, so shout out to her. <laughs> Um, and also shout out to any archaeologists working in the climate change adaptation or envi environmental sustainability realm looking for work. Shoot me an email. <laughs> All right. Nice plug. All right. And lad. And I just want to say I just didn't I just was looking at my uh, old episodes and you started off 2020 with your episode and now you're going to finish it, too. But could you give a big background on who you are? Yeah, thanks for having me, Doug, and nice to meet you, Dakota. My name is Lad, of course, and I'm an assistant professor in planning at the University of Arizona here in Tucson with Doug, and I research at the intersection between climate change and urban planning, particularly focused on extreme heat as a climate risk and um, kind of exploring the lack of governance structure and how we plan for heat. Um, I also teach in our Master of Science in Urban Planning program and lead our undergraduate sustainable built environments degree program. And I just want to 
plug in your Extreme Heat episode was extremely popular. So, yeah, I'm glad we did that and we, we need to do more of that. And you'd mentioned we live in Tucson together and it's kind of depressing. I know with the pandemic and COVID, we haven't seen each other all year. We used to make a habit of meeting up for coffee every, I think, couple of months just to, you know, catch up and such. And I, and I miss those uh, those coffees, but I'm hoping in 2021 we can go back to that. But on that note, I want to just start off. 2020 has been a crazy year, and let's talk about uh, COVID and the pandemic and what has it meant for you this past year. And Lad, I'm going to start off with you. What what has it impacted what you're doing? Yeah, how how hasn't it impacted <laughs> what we're all doing, right? Um, I I think the biggest personal impact for me has been um, I've been working at home with uh, remote schooling both of my kids who are in third grade and sixth grade right now, and my husband um, is out at his job um, out of our house, and so kind of I'm on remote school duty, and then I kind of after their schooling is done, continue my work until midnight or later whenever I can get it finished. So I think that's been kind of the biggest personal impact, um, and then of course trying to support our students um, who are all trying to take their classes online has been a really big um, change and kind of shift too. Wow. Yeah. Busy man, lad. Okay. Dakota, what about you? So I am in the final stages of my thesis writing, uh, not in any courses. Um, I do have several jobs which were temporarily put on hold, but overall the pandemic has been quite a roller coaster. Um, it was nice, actually, at first to take a break from everything, and it kind of tuned me back into my thesis, but uh, it went downhill, and then it went uphill, and it went downhill, <laughs> and productivity has gone up and down, and um, I- I'm sitting in a good place right now. Okay, but. and are you, you're not, are you originally from Oklahoma? I was uh, born and raised in Mississippi, but my father's family is from Oklahoma, oh, okay. and so... I've been here for the last um, over 10 years. Oh, okay. Excellent. Well, yeah, pandemic-wise, you know, I've been recording podcasts remotely since I started, and so it didn't impact my ability to do that because everyone I talk to is generally remote, except those opportunities when I get to go to conferences and workshops, and I miss those. Those are a great chance to meet potential guests, you know, find sponsorships and such, and I was supposed to go to Martha's Vineyard to do a three-part series. And I was so looking forward to that back in April, and that, of course, got canceled, and we switched that whole series to remote interviews. And they turned out great. I really am happy with the – we put the final one out a couple weeks ago, and it was great working with the trustees of reservations. But, yeah, that's been a radical shift of of taking out the one or two times a year I go on location. So, um, But I think all things considered, we probably had it relatively good compared to some people experiencing what's going on with COVID. So, Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I desperately miss conferences. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I miss the uh, little hallway coffee chats, not the actual presentations, but that's my problem. Um, well. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, let's I want to do a little focus on the podcast. We're going to get to the top climate stories of the year, and I want to talk about the adaptation as a profession a, a bit. But I do like to talk, you know, some shop with my listeners. And, and just again, some background. I recruited you two because, you know, I, I do this in the year episode with guests that actually listen to the podcast regularly. You know, some people listen here and there, they find an episode they like, but you guys are semi-regular listeners. And I want to thank you both for being regular, enthusiastic listeners. That's very exciting for me. Pivoting a bit, and this was a relatively recent podcast. I had Amy Westervelt from the Drilled Podcast on my show, and that was really cool. She, you know, it's a love talking shop with other climate podcasters. Are the 
there any other climate podcasts that you guys enjoy listening to? And uh, Dakota, we'll start with you. Oh, oh boy. Well, I did. I did just start drilled. Okay. And it's very. I love the style of it. It's really engaging. Can I pass this question to Lad? <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you gave one. That's fine. That's fine. So, Lad, do you, do you listen to any other po- climate podcasts? Yeah, I follow a few. I'd say No Place Like Home is probably the second runner-up, but yours is the one that I probably listen to the much more uh, consistently. So, Okay, can I add something? Sure. So on a climate environmental note, the pandemic has given me the time and space to go down some intense research rabbit holes, and one of those has been researching nuclear energy production and also Chernobyl So I've been listening to this podcast called Causality, which explains in detail when our technologies go awry with environmentally detrimental effects. So I've been really interested in that one. Cool. I have to check it out. I'm going to include, hopefully I'll get all these, but just as links in my show notes for these kind of things if people want to follow up. Very cool. I, you know, I subscribe to a lot of climate podcasts and I'm not listening to them all. In fact, I listen to a fraction of them, but it's, it's more just trying to keep track of like who is coming out there and who's, who's emerging. And, you know, lad, you and I sort of talk shop in a place like home. Occasionally I listen to their episodes and warm regards has been around for a while and they, they just came back. I think they took a hiatus, but it's been actually a very interesting year. And that's what Amy and I talked about is that, 2020, there's, it's been an emerging year for climate podcasts for a couple of years there. There just barely were any at all. But now everyone's sort of jumping on the bandwagon. And even sort of the big networks, I think, are, are looking at developing some podcasts. So I think that's a good thing. There's, you know, a million stories to tell around climate change. So we'll, we'll probably see a lot more in 2021. Awesome. Okay. Let's do a big pivot here and let's talk about the top climate stories of the year. And what I asked my guests is to come up with the, their top three climate stories. And we're going to do a countdown from, we're going to go around three, two, one, obviously. And what we think, this is not an objective, it's very subjective, but what really stood out for us. And Dakota, let's start with you. What's your number three climate story of the year? Maybe I'll start with the one that concerns me the most, just to get it out of the way. Like uh, your guests last year, I organized my top stories in terms of the one that that concerns me the most, one that interests me, and then one that gives me hope. So I'll start with the one that concerns me, and that is that in the last five years, forest fires have been really amping up around Chernobyl, and they are releasing radiation that is stored in the soil. So after the 1986 accident, um, researchers have found that around 90% of the radionuclides were actually absorbed by the surrounding vegetation and made their way into the soil. And so the climate around Chernobyl has been warming and drying associated with climate change and Fires have been terrible. Uh, 2015 was a terrible year, and then this past April was the worst yet. Around 25% of the exclusion zone around Chernobyl burned. And it's uh, really concerning because that radiation, when it's not kept in the soil by the 
mycelium, by the trees, by all the plants, when it's free to exit the exclusion zone in water and in wind, then it can make its way into Kiev, into surrounding areas of, UK- of Ukraine, into uh, the rest of Europe. So that really alarms me. Interesting. Did either of you see the Chernobyl series on HBO? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it, it was, I, I was just – the first two or three, I was just – my nerves were on fire. And so anyway, just obviously big disaster. And what you're describing, Dakota, is just fallout and for for decades to come. So, yeah, great, great one. Lad, what about your number three? Or just, yeah, we're doing a countdown, but I liked how you structured that, Dakota. But Lad. Yeah, I would say mine are loosely all kind of in the top three together because everything concerns me generally. Um, But Mine is the ongoing racial injustice and the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, this year, obviously highlighted again with the injustices of the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd that led to the national marches and peaceful protests. And um, we know that climate change impacts um, affect the marginalized and disenfranchised communities the most and compound other existing kind of social, economic and environmental challenges. And um yeah, just kind of the, bringing that conversation to the national forefront. I think um, those of us that work in the climate space and um, climate adaptation, we talk about equity a lot. But it was um, good to see that conversation being brought out of those kind of academic corners and um, being talked about in a more national um, kind of uh, forum. And a couple of studies came out this year, too, that connected past um, racist redlining practices where uh, homeowners weren't allowed to live in certain places or weren't given home loans. And um, those those red line neighborhoods um, in the past um, still have the highest urban heat island effect. So kind of connecting to, you know, existing um, climate risk and um, the kind of interplay of um, racial injustice. And so just I think um, climate adaptation really requires some inclusive and um, just representation at all levels, local, state and federal. So. So I think, you know, that's that's certainly an ongoing story that I hope um, continues to be at the forefront of the conversation. You know, and I covered uh, climate justice a, a few times on the podcast and with BLM going on. It really was just a an amazing year in that respect. What was kind of connecting the dots on a lot of those issues. So, yep, great one. Okay, my number three is I have the wildfires, and you know most of these were in, in, in California. Both we had a wildfire here in Tucson too that just ruined the whole summer. But I thought, and I talked about this with Amy Westervelt, is that how the media connected it to climate change, and you know they didn't do it perfectly. But I was actually relatively impressed that there was a lot of follow up, and there was a lot of sort of side stories associated with like, oh look, what's happening in California? We can expect to see more of this. And I and someone who obviously is in the climate community space. I'm fascinated with how we can be more effective communicating climate change. And I, I, I give the media, you know, the, the I guess the big mainstream media, some respect in, in making those connections more forcefully this year than they have in previous years. So Dakota, let's, what's your second one? Okay, I'll do the one that interests me. Um, it's, it's a bit uh, lighter, uh, slightly. Um, so this year, the first funeral was held in the Netherlands using a quote-unquote living coffin. So this coffin was constructed out of mushroom fibers. One of Another one of the research rabbit holes that I like to sit in is on burial practices in kind of the Western world. And how toxic they are to the environment is very clear. 
And so I'm very excited to see progress in terms of um, making our burial practices more environmentally friendly and sustainable. Cool. Interesting. <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind having a mushroom coffin. That would be kind of cool. I plan to. I have funeral instructions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, I don't even think about it. You're so you're much younger. Um, I hate eating mushrooms, but I could just team up with mushrooms for a, a coffin. So that's <laughs> lad. What about you? Number two. Yeah. So I, I would say the COVID-19 pandemic and obviously it's kind of overlaid everything that's happened this year, but I think there's a couple of interesting parallels with climate change and climate adaptation and, the first is um, kind of those of us that work a lot in the climate space have seen a lot of parallels with the COVID-19 pandemic and um, kind of the, the leadership and response and public opinions. And um, I think a lot of conversations going on that it really underlies the point that having accurate science isn't enough to deal with climate change. And we really need leadership and to properly communicate risk and kind of bring everyone on board um, for both individual and um, societal solutions both obviously COVID-19 and then um, kind of reflecting that back on climate adaptation. Um, and I think another kind of assumption that a lot of uh, folks have had in the climate space has been um, that when climate change gets bad enough, whatever you define bad enough as, that society would act with kind of the information and the resources that we've produced and kind of with our COVID-19 death toll in the United States, over 300,000 now, it's not unimaginable that um, we could ignore climate change in a kind of similar way. So I think that's an important lesson that we should take from this, that bad enough might not come to um, kind of spur action on it. And then I think another Another kind of lesson from um, the COVID-19 pandemic was living through all of the compounding effects. And like you mentioned, Doug, um, here in Tucson, we had our Catalina Mountains on fire for the first part of the summer. And I don't know if you remember um, kind of the couple of weeks where everything was colored ochre and kind of the sickly orange color and yeah. the, the air smelled like wildfire and it was 110 and we couldn't go outside because of the coronavirus and <laughs> kind of literally felt like we were living through an apocalypse um, for part of the year. And so I think, you know, just the compounding effects of all of those things and um, how the wildfires reduce air quality and um, obviously, the pandemic was a concern, and um, people with less means having to deal with all of those things at once is really difficult. So, and then the third kind of connection that I'd like to make is um, just I, I personally know a lot of the practitioners that I work with um, with cities that do climate action or sustainability or resilience. A lot of them were shifted to COVID-19 response. And so I know a lot of local governments now are really strained with the resources and have um, declining revenue. And so a big question right now is kind of how those um, jobs and the focus will shift back to climate action planning post COVID-19 and how um, climate change will lie as a priority in the future going forward. Good ones. Oh, that was so depressing because we here in Tucson, we, we have the mountain range and to escape the heat, we'll go up to the top of Mount Lemon and the entire mountain range was shut down for most of the summer. And so that was one of the key areas that you could just kind of get away. Yeah, that was very depressing. And yet, I'd just like to follow up. You'd mentioned it's COVID and science and, you know, my own experience, even with, with family, having, you know, family and friends, that look at like evolution and some of these other science topics and don't believe that they're actually real. It's just very frustrating and you roll your eyes, but you're like in the big picture, does it matter that they really 
understand and think evolution is happening. And it probably does in most cases, but then we have this situation with the pandemic and the need to trust the scientists around it. And they just were set up so poorly. And it's made me rethink this like, oh, it is dangerous when people have these really outlandish, you know, ideas of what science is. And so um, we're living through it. This is what the United States is a consequence of that sort of poor appreciation yeah. of science. Well, they think, they think you've seen cities kind of respond differently, too. And so the more progressive cities that, you know, might be in the blue states or have more resources and um, kind of more access to that knowledge responded one way to the pandemic versus other cities. And we think there's a lot of parallels with how cities are responding to climate change that, you know, we really need to kind of take a close look at that. And, you know, my my kind of nightmare scenario is that we leave half of the country behind with climate change. Um, and, you know, I think we need to figure out a way to bring everyone on board, um, kind of however, however comfortable they are with it. So. All right. My number two is that Joe Biden won the presidency. And this is, yay. I mean, the fate of the republic's preserved for another four years. Oh, boy. Um, but what we'll do on the first day that he's in office, he's going to get us back into the Paris Climate Agreement. And I had Christiana Figueres on earlier this year, and she explained that we can immediately get back in. That These are all very important things. And you look at the things that the federal government does around climate change, like the National Climate Assessment, putting the right people in charge who respect what's what these things mean. And I mean, it, we can't stress enough like what federal and international leadership on climate change is going to mean. And it was kind of scary to think of another four years of someone who not only is not doing much, but is a denier around it. So and, you know, I, I have my own experiences with federal agencies. I worked for one. They are going to be pushed like you can't even imagine that these political appointees that are going to come in and they're going to want them to ramp up. And, you know, that's that's very exciting. And I think all the people that Biden is bringing into his orbit, you know, John Kerry, even Ron Klain, his chief of staff, they're all like climate believers in the best sense. And so, yeah, that was a really important thing to happen in the election. Yeah, absolutely. I sloppy, happy cried all day. <laughs> nice. I was a little disturbed that the Senate and the House, you know, did not do as well as we thought they were going to do. And so that it's kind of, you know, it's, what happened there? And it could have easily gone to, to Trump. So that, that was very sobering. All right. Well, final one. Let's go Dakota back around the circle. Okay. The one that gives me hope. I'm really glad that, Lad, you were touching on these broader, very serious issues that impact all of us and everyone that we care about so that I can like zoom in a little bit on these like smaller things that pulled my interest. So the thing that gives me hope is that a group of international researchers made a breakthrough in desalinating uh, ocean water using solar energy. Uh, so they proposed that their breakthrough could provide potable water for millions of people across the world. So it uses far less energy than any desalination processes previous. So that was it. Lad, what's your number one? 
Yeah, so kind of similar to your number two, Doug, I think um, not just the Biden election, but I would say broadly kind of the state of our democracy. And so um, obviously the Biden administration, um, incoming uh, administration will take the country in a vastly different direction. But I'm still very concerned that we're, you know, ever more divided than in, in, at any point in the rest of our lives. And um, I think kind of, you know, Doug, you and I being a little bit older, the, you know, the last uh, 20 years, you've kind of seen a progression where the, the disagreements moved from just being policy based to being kind of more cultural based. And now I think there's even disagreement on the fundamental role and importance of even having a democracy. And so, um, very concerning. And I think to have successful climate change progress or even to talk about adaptation, we really need to have a functional democracy that's evidence based and, you know, inclusive and um, have all voters um, represented in the government. So, so I think um, good news, the Biden one, I think um, doesn't solve our kind of underlying problems. And again, to kind of approach climate change successfully, I think we need to figure out a way to, to bridge that divide and um, truly get people back to working together. Um, Cause we're just not, even with the Biden administration, um, if, if the Congress is still, um, you know, in the Republicans hands, I think, um, we're still going to have um, a divided country and kind of figuring out how to make that work is going to be really difficult. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, that reminds me of uh, what Linda she said, that she's just seeing a lot of a lack of cooperation and a lot of bickering in terms of uh, addressing climate change adaptation uh, among governments in the U.S. across the board. And that is definitely the atmosphere that I feel like I live in a lot of bickering and a widespread lack of cooperation. And just so people know, Linda, Linda Shy is a professor at Cornell University, and we did a episode around some justice issues. That was really a fun conversation. So am I the last one? Boy, I set it up this way, didn't I? Okay, my number one story, overwhelmingly the biggest climate story of the year, and quite frankly, I'm shocked that neither of you had this as your number one, is... America Daps got nominated for an iHeart Radio <laughs> Award. Congratulations, Doug. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? You know, obviously I'm having some fun there. There's other more important stories. But no, yes, and in, in, I've mentioned it before, yet iHeart Radio, big network of for music and podcasts, and they nominated uh, America Daps in the best green podcast category. Was not expecting it. That was super cool. You know, I am a small independent podcast and for them to even find me, which I still think would be kind of cool to figure out how they did. Um, yeah, that was a, a fun cap to a very bad year. For, so yeah, no, very good news. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. When are they announcing those results? Well, there's going to be a virtual award show on January 21st, and you can watch it on YouTube and Facebook. So obviously, be watching. I, I'm still they're, they're not really communicating. I don't know how it even works. Like, let's say um, whoever the winner is, do they bring them into the award show or what? I'm not sure. There hasn't been much communication yet, so we'll see. But I'll keep everyone I, I, getting nominated. Obviously, is half the victory, so that that was in itself a thrill. So. Okay, <laughs> that's my top climate story of the year. I want to talk about your favorite America Daps episodes, and let's just hear them. I mean, you know, and you could kind of obviously give the name of what what the you know guest or the topic and such, and just you know why you liked it. But let's start off with Lad. So give me some of your favorites from the year. 
Yes, I have a couple favorites. One was um, the episode with Dr. Linda Shiat-Cornell, um, who's a fellow urban planning and climate change researcher. And in her episode, she really talked about um, how climate change adaptation actions um, can often continue or worsen existing inequities and kind of talked um, through a very substantive overview of the challenges and opportunities in equitable climate adaptation and um, had a really interesting discussion with you on the postmortem of the 100 Brazilian Cities um, project and was pretty honest about her take on it. So I thought that was interesting. Um, another episode I really enjoyed was the one with Dr. Renee Lertzman, who's an environmental psychologist and founder of Project Inside Out. And the episode, um, you discussed climate grief and trauma and anxiety, and she kind of really eloquently described the feelings that many of us have working in the climate space and kind of the, the pressures and the stress <laughs> of thinking about climate change kind of nonstop. And, um, and I really liked her message um, that there's room in the climate climate movement for everyone and kind of the different levels that people can contribute to kind of based on where they're at in their life. So I like that a lot. And then my last uh, kind of bonus favorite um, is you had Dr. Amy Brady back, who's the editor-in-chief of the Chicago Review of Books. And so I'm a huge sci-fi, cli-fi fan myself. And um, I just love kind of her updates on cli-fi and um, her message that storytelling is a powerful medium to help us uh, kind of envision futures different from what we've experienced and lived in. And I'm currently actually reading Kim Stanley Robinson's Ministry of the Future. Um, and would recommend that book particularly um, for anyone that's looking for a little bit more optimistic take on cli-fi because it kind of has a nice positive spin on it. So, Wow, great choices. And Amy, that was our third time coming on. You know, I, I feel like Amy's an old friend now. We've never actually met in person, but we, we talk offline. And I've been encouraging her uh, – starting her own podcast around climate fiction and she wants to it's just she, she the technical hurdles but I, I think if people hear from you know if she hears from people that that, that they'd love that I think that would be a great thing for 2021 is a, a Amy Brady led climate fiction podcast so well Dakota what about you what were some of your favorites okay so my number one favorite and I'm I swear this is not uh, flattery but my number one favorite was Lot. A January episode on extreme heat. I've listened to it like at least three times. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, well, yeah, uh, it's it's extremely pertinent. I, I spend every summer working in the field for months at a time, and so uh, I I deal with heat directly and and rising heat, and I I think that it does not get as much media attention as extreme weather events and fires. Uh, but like was mentioned on the show, it is the number one weather-related killer of people uh, related to climate change. So I think it's deserving of intense consideration, and not just because I'm considering moving to on. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Dakota. Not, not planned at all, <laughs> but appreciate that. <laughs> And then the other one um, was, okay, I'm going to try this, Christiana Figueres. Figueres, but yeah. Figueres. She is awesome. Her spirit just exploded out of my headphones. <laughs> one of the things that resonated the most from her talk with me was, one, her hopefulness. She's, she's really resilient herself. And I just ordered her book, and I can't wait for it to come in so I can start reading it. But two, she was talking about the pandemic and, and as we've covered 
a bit in this conversation what a treasure trove of, of learning it is in so many ways. Something that I am, I, I've been confronted with concerning the pandemic several times has been the fact that global emissions are down and that in a lot of areas there's this kind of ecological episode of healing that's going on. And a lot of people are uh, kind of taking a she lined out to future pathways that we can come out of this pandemic with in light of what's happening ecologically. So uh, particularly concerning stimulus packages, international governments can choose to fund the industries that they have been funding, like, for example, in the United States, oil and gas industries and emissions will skyrocket or funding can be put into genuinely green industries and we can take this opportunity to really grow and 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 work at a much accelerated rate towards a better future well i'm sure she'd be happy that she inspired you and that was a fun episode to even record she's she was holing up in costa rica on the osa peninsula and i used to live in costa rica and it was just kind of fun we were before even we did the interview we were just sort of catching up on some costa rican things and so that was fun and quite honestly i and this is my own fault i didn't realize how big of like voice and role she played in you know in, in the climate circles i i mean i have heard but just she was there at the center of the paris climate agreement so just a truly a consequential figure so that was really cool all right well those are some great episodes guys i just look back i obviously can't pick favorites because that's not what you know the host does but it was been a great year for me and you know, I just, I'm looking at some of the people I talked to. It's been amazing and it's sort of different conversations. It, you know, I was kind of tickled that I, I interviewed former Senator Russ Feingold and Tom Steyer and these are just big name politicians that I never thought I'd be talking to. And th- those things were kind of cool. But just again, some of the other, those voices I mentioned earlier, it's just, yeah, it's a privilege to, to be doing what I'm doing and having these conversations. So, and appreciate my listeners kind of joining me for this journey. So. All right, so we are going to do another pivot here, and I want to talk, and this is what we did last year, and um, Dakota, I know you're a student, and you are just starting off and thinking about these things, and I think that'll be good to get your perspective on this, but talking about the broader adaptation universe, and even though you don't consider yourself an adaptation professional, let's just go there, and Lad, I'm going to kind of, you know, I'll take you through what I ask you, but do you feel, Dakota, part of a broader adaptation community even based on the what you're studying or you think you're where you're headed with your PhD and such? This is cool. You asked this question last year and I thought about it. I thought about how I would answer. Good. Oh, <laughs> so I thought about what I would say. And the answer is yes, because I, I want to be. I am actively seeking out people that are working in adaptation. I'm like remembering their names trying to have conversations with them. Like, for example, at the SAAs, the Society for American Archaeologists Conference, it is the biggest American archaeology conference of the year. We had a um, archaeology and climate change symposium a couple years ago that I sat in on, and it was amazing. And I think it was Marcy who invited me to come be a part of the archaeologists addressing climate change discussion group and so I sat in on that that evening and yeah I feel like I'm wiggling my way in and it's it's really exciting 
but I'm, I'm, I'm desperately looking to meet more people. And uh, like I said, looking to find out more of what people are doing and, and possibly what I can get involved in. And just even as a student, okay, so you, you listen to America Daps. There's a podcast. There's, I guess, a, a way for you to hear more about other things. And then you're going to conferences. Are there anything else, other things that as a student, you're getting exposed to this kind of information? You know, actually, I think Twitter is a really cool tool okay. uh, for this. So I, I found Marcy on Twitter. I look at who she's uh, tweeting with and talking about and the kinds of things that they're talking about. And um, also on like her publications and on other researchers' publications that uh, pull my attention. I, I look up those researchers on Twitter and see what they're talking about and follow them and, and make connections that way. So I think that's that's really cool. I think it's Twitter's pretty underrated in terms of scientific networking. I agree. I follow a lot of climate folks on it, and there's, it takes me down some nice rabbit holes. So, Lad, what about you? You're a professor, and you've been working in this space a lot longer, and there's a lot of things that you're doing. But more generally, like, do you do you feel part of that at like you're part of that adaptation community that's kind of evolving right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I'm, I think when you might have asked this before, and I, I still feel like I'm adaptation adjacent, and so I kind of identify more as an urban planner or a governance, uh, city governance um, person, and so. Uh, certainly, like climate change intersects everything I do, but I think there's a hardcore kind of community of adaptation professionals that are really focused on it, and I think I think I kind of move in and out of that space pretty frequently. But the work you were doing in Miami, would you say that was more? Did that bring it into the kind of climate circles, or was that more of just the urban planning? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that was more city based. Yeah, so more city based, but kind of bringing resilience and adaptation to the city. So. And how do you feel like you try to stay involved with like the adaptation community or I guess learn more about it? Does it just naturally happen because of people you're working with kind of do that kind of work? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I mean, I I certainly um, am a American Society of Adaptation Professionals uh, member and they have a lot of great programming and um, that's where a lot of that kind of core action happens. But I think um, organizations that I'm part of and much more involved with like the American Planning Association and the Urban Land Institute are both um, really bringing climate change and adaptation to kind of the core of the mission of what they're doing too. And so there's a lot of um, good folks involved in that, um, in those organizations too. Yeah, you know, obviously I, I host a podcast on adaptation, so I feel like I get to stay connected. It's it's much different than when I was more of a practitioner professional because I'd go to conferences and you'd stay sort of in your own kind of sector. And so um, it is encouraging how it's evolving and just the people that I talk to on the podcast, I just a lot of it's like, oh, wow, I didn't even know you guys were kind of working on this. This is what's happening, and especially in, in academic circles. I you know, I don't think some academics do a very good job communicating what they're doing outside their particular projects or whatever. And so, you know, they just they're not necessarily designed to do that. But there's a lot of cool work going on in universities. And that's been really eye opening to me uh, to, to there's a lot more going on than we realize. So, yeah, I think integration um, and collaboration between fields is becoming more and more the thing to do. And that's very exciting for me. That's something that I've very much look forward to going forward. Yeah, and Doug, I, I would just say one one kind of good benefit of the pandemic and everything going virtual is it's really opened up the accessibility to 
And if the groups that had meetings at a certain place that would cost too much money for people to travel to or were only open to certain audiences. And I think we've seen a lot of those things kind of get broken down and opened up to public audiences um, this year. And so I hope that when, you know, it's safe to have conferences and see people in person, that we don't lose kind of the accessibility that we've gained um, in a lot of ways with all of the virtual work that's going on right now, too. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Okay, here's kind of a, a silly question, but do your family members or just people close to you um, know what the hell uh, you're doing when it comes to adaptation? Do they even have a, any clue what it really means? And Lad, I guess I'll start with you. Do you have to explain it and um, or do you even go down that path? Because you're doing urban planning, but does this climate change come up? Oh, yeah. And they, I mean, the eyes glaze over because <laughs> people, people know what I'm going to talk about um, pretty, pretty frequently. But I would say, you know, my kids are at the point now where they're, um, you know, teaching their classes and their teachers about what they've learned <laughs> from climate change just by listening to kind of my talks and um, the stuff that I work on. So, so it definitely, definitely kind of permeates all aspects of my life. And I know you're not like in the professional field now, Dakota, but do you, do your, I guess, close family, do you have to sort of explain what you're up to with your archaeology work? Uh, so I like to think that they understand what I'm talking about because I do talk about it all the time, every <laughs> chance I get. <laughs> and at the bar too, and at the yoga studio too, like every chance. Uh, but it, it, mm, most of the time when the, when the information gets recycled back to me, it's a little bit like that telephone game, you know, where you, um, say one word and it ends up sounding like a whole different word. So they, they kind of understand. They understand that I, I, I'm really concerned with, um, being adapted or maladapted in general. <laughs> eco-friendly, basically. <laughs> they wouldn't use the word adapted. They would probably go with eco-friendly. All right. Well, as you head into your PhD in, in the in the workspace, I think uh, you'll you'll have a much earlier start than we had kind of explaining. I was doing wildlife conservation for a long time and especially my in-laws, they just I think they thought I was working in sustainability. They'd send me stories related to say, sustainability and they just for 10 years didn't get it. And as I moved in climate adaptation space, I think my family's a little bit better about about what I'm doing. They don't really care, but <laughs> I think they get it a bit more. My 16-year-old, he he likes to just come in and say, you're that loser podcaster, right? And that's, uh, oh. yeah, he's just this this surly 16-year-old, and he, that's what he thinks of podcasters and his father as a climate podcaster. So that's what I'm dealing with in the home space. So. <laughs> All right, so we're we're we've made a lot of progress here, but I I, I want to do another pivot here, and this is again to, I think I want to talk about America Adapts, and Lad, I want you to sort of take over, and this is I've done this I think two years in a row now, is you can kind of direct, you know, you're asking me questions, the two of you are going to ask me questions if you had things that you wanted to know and such, and it's always kind of a treat for me just to be able to answer things. So go ahead, Lad, you're now the host of America Adapts. Great. Honorary host, this is amazing. So Dakota, my, my thought is I'll go first and then why don't I pass it over to you so you can think of a question. So um, yeah. Doug, one question I have is I know you've been working a lot with Simpatico Studios. So what's the latest and what are your plans with them going forward? Well, Simpatico, and that's with a C if people aren't familiar, and I've been you know promoting it on the podcast and I will continue. It's really just this 
yeah, this has been a crazy thing that, you know, they found me. It's a, it's a tech startup out of California and they've created this streaming TV platform. You know, it's, you just watch it on your browser. And if you're familiar with Twitch, it's sort of like that. And they recruited me as their very first host. They're doing, you know, streaming TV and they created a climate channel and I, I was, I came on. And so I've actually been working with them for over a year and we started doing s- some serious interviews. Like I think it was in February. And yeah, they have a team there and they recruit people like you guys to come on. They're from all over the world, some really remarkable people. And I'm interviewing them and it's much different. Like right now, you know, I'm in my pajamas and we're not doing any video, but that is all TV. And so you have to be on and it's a much different creature, but it's, it's exciting. And it's, it's, you know, it's a slog too that we're demonstrating that we can do this. And I am like, the talent, which is kind of a new for me. There's a whole team from all over the world that's working on this and they're just looking at taking it to that next level, getting other hosts and there's going to, they want a round the clock climate adaptation shows and we're working on those different things. And so, yeah, it's, it, it, it's just, it's about building it up and it's really hard to describe, but definitely if you want to check it out, you, it's behind a firewall. You, you go in and you sign in and you, you get in there and we have live shows that's, then are become archived and you know it, it, it's definitely been a weird development for me in 2021 we have high hopes if you know if i guess they get some investors coming in they can ramp it up to the next level and i will probably take a larger role in developing the content even though i help with some recruitment of guests it's like we really want this to be a kind of a premier platform to talk about climate adaptation and, you know, we're talking to some international groups and stuff. So, yeah, 2021 will be kind of exciting with Simpatico. And again, I've always worked for, con- con- you know, nonprofits or government. And so the, the private sector space is just such a radically different universe. But it's been exciting and seeing how they operate. And, you know, Ken Marshall's the CEO of that. And he he's been fun to kind of learn from as we go through this. So I, I'm sure, you know, it's been a mystery. Some of my listeners, what the hell is he talking about with Sapatico again? And so, yeah, that, that's what's going on there. And I was going to ask Doug, um, are the, is the viewership different for Sapatico, the, the interviews that you do versus the podcast listener um, kind of uh, spectrum? Well, the type of viewer is, you know, it's probably even more filtered. You know, the the viewers of actual live shows is, you know, it's still modest. And most of the um, viewing is happening after the fact. You can go archived and you can repurpose it and share it on YouTube. But the people that are can sign up for Simpatico, we're, we're trying to attract more of the climate professional. And there's a bit broader spectrum of topics. I focus on adaptation on the podcast, whereas... Even though it's a climate adaptation channel, we do talk, you know, renewable energy and we talk to the startups, which has, again, been interesting talking to CEOs of this, you know, Dakota, you'd mentioned the water technologies that you find inspiring. I talked to a CEO that was, is working on that technology himself and with us, his whole company. And it's just like, yeah, it's getting me some exposures to some really cool things. So the goal, lad, will really be to, if, you're in that space. You're going to use Simpatico sort of as a production house too. Like you, you know, the American Planning Association. That would be a great client to sort of say, "Hey, we had this in- unique platform that's much more sophisticated than you doing a Zoom call." So that that's where they're mm-hmm. kind of headed. So very cool, Dakota. Why don't you go next? Awesome. That question about Simpatico was one of my questions as well. So my other question, a lot of people around me to cope with the difficulty of 2020 are making lists of of what they learned in 2020 
And I was wondering, uh, what is one thing that you have learned in 2020 that uh, you feel will help you moving forward or that you'll carry with you moving forward? Hmm. Good question. You know, I guess the fact that we there was this huge society-wide transition to remote working, it, uh, it it's taught me that we, I think, are a lot more flexible in the workspace. And, you know, it's obviously beneficial in some ways with the, the podcast and some of the stuff that I'm doing with Simpatico. And uh, I... Not that I don't hope we all go back to the offices because I think there's a lot of value, obviously, being in the, in the same place. But I think, you know, the ability to use some technology to kind of do our work. I mean, we were forced to do it. And I think in some ways it, it, there was a lot of positives to that. And so, yeah, I, I, I want to bring that into how I'm using my work that I do is all revolves around technology and these technolo- technological tools. So I, I want to learn more and, you know, I guess tap into to people's ability to use those. And, you know, one issue there, though, is I think a lot of people are not flexible enough. And I guess that's maybe a, a negative thing I learned is that people sometimes they never learn. And when it comes to the podcast or even talking about Simpatico, I, I, I ask, like when I try to describe Twitch and lad, you've heard of Twitch, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Dakota, right? You've heard of Twitch, right? Yeah, ab- I absolutely. I stream myself um, gaming sometimes. On okay, okay. See, Lee, <laughs> uh, and I'll ask people like I'll, when I'm doing interviews and such, and anyone over 30, I'll, I'll if it, Simpatico comes up and I'll bring up Twitch, and I'm like, have you ever heard of it? Probably 60, 70 percent of the time, anyone over 30 will say no, and anyone under 25, but anyone under 30, 99 percent will say yes. And I guess that's one of the things I learned, too, is like the Dakota, your generation is changing rapidly and how it's using the workplace because you're the, the merger between your own kind of personal and entertainment to like your expectations to what the workplace is going to be like. Quite frankly, and I think Simpatico's that I'm intrigued. Will Simpatico hit a sweet spot with that? I, I don't know. I don't I'm not sort of a technology pr- predictor, but uh, that's been really interesting. Well, Simpatico sounds intriguing to me as someone who is uh, part of that technological generation. We'll sign up. We'll sign up. It's free. (laughs) I will. Go check it out. All right, Doug. My next question is, you mentioned before that you miss um, going on site for the podcasts. Um, So where would you like to go on site next once it's safe to travel again for the America Dapps podcast? Oh, good question. Uh, let's, Let's learn about adaptation in Tahiti. Uh, you know, it's, it's been, I've I traveled in the United States quite a bit and, um, I haven't gone much to the Pacific Northwest cause you know, I, I do like to tell these stories. And so that would be great. I would love to do something in, um, Latin America that we don't hear a lot about what they're doing with adaptation. So it'd be at Central America or South America that I think that could be really cool. And, when, when you go to a place, even though you can do things remotely, but when you go to the place, you always get that sort of cool recommendation of someone you should talk to because you're there on the ground. You're having dinner with someone. They're like, oh, well, you should definitely go talk to that. And you, you miss out on those opportunities. And especially going overseas, I, I really want to tell those stories to my audience because, you know, my focus America adapts, but I have done some international episodes and 
I think we have so much to learn here in the United States. And so, um, you know, that's a hard question, lad, because, you know, it's just like <laughs> we all want to start traveling for fun. We want to start traveling for work. Uh, if I could marry those two, that would be great. So Panama, let's throw out Panama. OK, I can go back to Panama or the south of Dakota. France. <laughs> Dakota, do you want to go next? Yeah. The final question that I had thought of is, do you have any shareable goals for 21, 2021 for the podcast? Shareable goals? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going to I'm going to ask you guys uh, as we close this up about what I should cover next year. But this is uh-huh. different. This is different, though. I guess that I, you know, I want to be able to do maybe one um, travel trip in uh, maybe the latter half of 2021. They'll they'll be opening it up and the vaccine has made its way through, and we're doing that. So that that would be a goal. I would also maybe like to. You know, be a bit more focused around themes. You know, we haven't talked about it, but it's just like the process of how I get guests on this podcast. I'm just very fortunate. I get a lot of recommendations. People say Doug and people I know well and sort of a lot of behind the scenes uh, things going on that that leads to my guests. Or if I just see an article I'm interested in. So I'll maybe be a bit more thematic. And, you know, I'd like to talk more about national security and just be a little bit more structured in, in that respect saying, all right, you know, I typically do 20 to 25 episodes a year. I'm going to do five episodes around national security. And I guess, I, I, I you know, people use these and, you know, I find that professors are using the podcast and, and all that. And so I just cr- keep creating the content that's going to be that practical and that useful. So uh, I guess be a bit more strategic in, in what I do with the podcast. And obviously grow. I want to grow. You always want to grow as a podcast. Maybe there's a, a different demographic that hasn't been exposed to it. And you think, oh, well, I've got my podcast. And, you know, I, I actually do have quite a few listeners. And you'll go to some po- adaptation meeting. You're like, well, of course, they've all heard of my podcast. And it's like you'll be like, if one person in a room of 10 have heard of it, you know, and it's just like they could be benefiting from it, from, you know, listening. And sometimes it's they don't listen to podcasts or it's not necessarily the the platform that everyone's getting their information from. So uh, I would like to get that, you know, more relevant to you know, people like that. Cool. Well, Doug, I have, I have one last question, then I'll turn the reins back over to you. But were there any new um, adapters or um, kind of most impactful adapters of 2020 that you'd like to mention? Oh, wow. Great question. Impactful adapters. Great question, lad. So early in the year, I did an interview with Shalini Vajhala, and she just she has this kind of interesting private company, but it's kind of pseudo nonprofit where she works with big investors looking at infrastructure projects. And it was, you know, one of those episodes you're like, oh, you know, it's going to be kind of wonky. People, I I like doing those because they're useful, but it's like, it's like this probably won't get much of a response, and it just got a tremendous response. People absolutely love Shalini. They just thought she had this this way about her explaining, and it just I think um, she, she ended up showing up. She was getting involved with some ASAP events, and she had she had obviously a very accomplished previous life to what she was doing now. But I just think people like her rising up and you know demonstrating. Uh, these mundane areas, oh, infrastructure spending, but how that's reforming adaptation and just with the different sectors that are involved. And so I think she is going, you keep a eye on her um, and she's going places. And then 
Um, Dakota mentioned Linda Shy, Dr. Linda Shy from Cornell, and you know, urban planning and climate inequities. You're seeing that lad as a topic, and she's right in the thick of it. And she wasn't afraid to share her opinion. We talked about the 100 Resilient Cities mm-hmm. Initiative, and she kind of threw them under the bus, which was very interesting. And I did an interview with Maxine Burkett, and she's at the University of Hawaii, and we talked about climate reparations. And I think that was really interesting, especially in, you know, this was in the thick of the Black Lives Matter movement, and it was just a fascinating conversation. And so I think academia right now, they those voices are some of the most interesting people in the adaptation space. And so, yeah, that's I could go on in regards to some of the other people, but think that those kind of voices, I'm very encouraged that they are just in 10 years from now, they're just going to be legends if, and, but they're already highly influential. So. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. I'm going to seize back power from you, lad. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Good work. You're the award nominated host. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to, it's going to be like 2027. I was nominated for an award in 2020. <laughs> All right. So just this is a follow up to what you were doing, Dakota, and, you know, talking about my own goals. But I'm asking questions back on you guys. And, Lad, let's start with you. And what should I cover in 2021? What, what have I been missing or what do you want to hear more about? What and Think about I got like 20, 25 episodes I do a year. What, what, what should I do? Yeah, so I think this question is harder to answer this year than during the holiday special a couple of years ago when I was a guest, um, because you really have continued to kind of grow the representation of um, guests and disciplines and perspectives that you've had on. But I would say um, certainly next year, a guest uh, or guests uh, that could speak to the direction of national climate policy under the Biden administration would be really interesting. Um, So kind of the the higher level wonkier discussions um, would be really interesting. And one thing that you mentioned um, earlier about where you would like to travel, um, I was actually kind of thinking that uh, our neighbors to the north and south, both Canada and Mexico, there's just a lot that we could learn from and kind of partner with on them. Um, And particularly for us in Tucson, Doug, um, right along the Mexican border, there's a lot of work going on on both sides of the border for kind of climate work and equity and adaptation. So so I think that would be a really interesting um, kind of uh, perspective to include in the show, too. Funny you mentioned it. Carolyn Kuski, um, she's a professor at University of Pennsylvania at the Wharton School, and I had her on a while back, but she just wrote like top six things for resilience that they recommend for Biden. And I, I've emailed her and we're supposed to set up a podcast episode. We haven't set a date or anything, but uh, yeah, I, I want to take advantage of that window at the beginning of the year. So yeah, so good, uh, good ideas. All right, Dakota, what about you? What, what would you like to hear? I would like to hear more archaeology. All right. Um, Marcy published a paper back in April that uh, summarized really well um, the ways how uh, archaeology is valuable to the global addressing of climate change and and why. Um, She used this example of waterfowls around a lake in Iceland. And... Um, they looked at it archaeologically and they were finding the shells, the eggshells of these birds, but not their bones. And then they looked at the modern practices of harvesting these eggs and found that it matched up to the thousand year old archaeology. So what they were able to highlight was that the, there was, there is this sustainable harvesting practice, uh, going on 
over a span of a thousand years since the first settlers came to that part of Iceland. And so archaeology, um, like nothing else, can really speak to sustainability uh, on a time scale that is, um, yeah, uh, incomparable and invaluable. So um, on the one hand, it, it informs the addressing of climate change globally invalu- invaluably. And then on the other hand, archaeology is intensely affected by climate change. And so there's so many voices, um, so many people out there, um, archaeologists, involved with climate change in varying ways. And I would love to see some of them on the show. All right. Well, you'll have to keep sending me names and such. And uh, Marcy, she and I still, we stay in contact. So, and I, 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 I talk with people who are in the historic preservation space too, and there's certainly overlap with some of those things. And so, yeah, I, I foresee, you know, more of that, but that's a great suggestion. We are getting at the very end of this episode here and, this, I ask, you know, it's coming. I ask all my guests who they recommend, and you've done all sorts of recommendations, but a specific guest you think should be on the podcast. And, Lad, let's start with you. Who who do you recommend specifically should come on the podcast? Uh, there's so many. It's always a hard question. There's so many good people to recommend. I would I would say um, Daphne Lundy, um, who's a senior policy advisor for New York City, who's been working on a lot of really innovative um, kind of extreme heat planning solutions. Um, so she's a a great colleague, and I would say she would be um, bringing a really interesting perspective to the podcast. Cool, great recommendation, Dakota. What about you? I genuinely think I got. I, I think I have two two names. I, I I would love Marcy to come back on and talk about her work with the uh, IPCC, ECOMOS. That's that's with that's who she's working with right now, ECOMOS, the International Council on Monuments and Sites. So she's been doing some really cool work with them and. Her most recent paper is really valuable in terms of adaptation uh, as related to archaeology. So I'd love for her to come back on personally. And Anne Jensen is she's an absolute badass. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's uh, working in coastal Alaska, um, doing a lot of salvage archaeology because the sea level is rising so rapidly there. So she is every day confronted with climate change and acting against it or acting trying to save cultural heritage every single day so i think her perspective is uh, would be really valuable cool um no those are great and sounds like uh, some some great content there i guess i want to just hear from each of you and maybe lad will just jump back to you is like what's next for you what what do you have going on in 2021 next six months or whatever what's going on yeah, so what is going on? I um, have a couple of funded research projects on um, kind of exploring extreme heat planning and governance, so continuing those and wrapping those up before the summer. Um, lots of kind of papers and articles in the works, and hopefully um, some big news with the American Planning Association with the project that I'm working on um, with them for heat. And um, we'll certainly put that out on Twitter and everything once that's official. So. Cool. And Dakota, I know you're finishing up, but like your next six months to a year, what, I guess, what, what are you going to hope to accomplish? And then what what's your next step? I want to finish my thesis and be proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> Although if you finish it, Dakota, that's that's often just enough. <laughs> so. That's what I keep being told. But I'm such a perfectionist. Um, 
So I'd like to do that. Uh, I would like to just get it done. And I want to, um, I'm on the search now for a place to relocate to, to do PhD work. So I'd really like to get connected to people that I could possibly work with and start coming up with projects. Uh, Yeah. Yep. Cool. And I want to end this with that uh, Dakota had an assignment and she is a bartender at night (laughs) and she said she came up with an America Adapts themed cocktail and she was going to walk us through. Is this right? You're going to walk us through. What what did you come up with? What's a concoction? So the America Adapts cocktail at my bar (laughs) is an adaptation of a hot toddy because I think we could all use a little warmth after 2020. So we'll do two ounces of eco-friendly bourbon, which is happening. There are distilleries across the world um, doing really impressive things in terms of uh, sustainable bourbon production. So two ounces of that, half an ounce of local honey, nice, if you can find it, a healthy dash of sustainably sourced allspice, Big squeeze of organic lemon and a slice, and then fill it with hot water and stir. <laughs> wow. And can we call it the adapter because it's just sticking with that theme? Yes. That's great. <laughs> All right. Well, if you end up at the University of Arizona, you'll have to make me this drink. And I think we have great um, mesquite honey. Is that right, lad? You can get local honey here. And they use mesquite as one of the more popular ways that the, the honeys get it. So, boy, that sounds yummy. I'm ready for it. All right. Great. Or if the first ever uh, adaptation cocktail, you people are going to make this. You realize, Dakota, people are out there listening. They're going to make this. And I, hopefully I, I encourage you to send me a picture if you make this at home and let me know if you've created the adapter. So let's I go from there. So. Oh, can I do a, a quick, quick little blurb? So sure. <laughs> I in my search for eco-friendly bourbon, I did find one distillery in Sweden. Um, I can't remember their name, but I'm sure you could Google eco-friendly bourbon Sweden and find it. But they are so impressive. They use uh, all natural, sustainably farmed ingredients. The heat that they produce in distillation, they use to heat their premises. Uh, yeah, they recycle all the materials and they use like bio pellets to do the heating. So that was just so cool to learn about. <laughs> so thank oh, you for pl- opening that door. <laughs> well, there's a place to visit, right? Um and you, you, listen, to go, you make this drink when you're at the bar and you take a photo and put it on your Instagram account, you know, and just say the adapter and just, you know, give the ingredients. I think that could be cool. So, right. um, guys, this was a lot of fun. We actually covered a lot of ground. I appreciate you coming on and everything that you're doing, Dakota. I know you're just a, a, a student just starting off, but I sense great things for you. And I think it's part of your long-term goals is that you're going to be get a PhD and we'll get you back on the podcast where we do one of the more in-depth interviews. So um, looking forward to that conversation and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Super happy to be here. Thanks for having us, Doug. Okay, Adapters, that is a wrap. Thanks to Lad and Dakota for joining me on the podcast. What a treat chatting with these two. They are avid listeners of the podcast, and I have really thoughtful things to say about the climate movement. And I like doing these episodes because I can relax a bit more. Okay, I need to thank some people. First off, I want to thank my financial supporters. In case you didn't know, America Adapts is actually a not-for-profit organization, and people donate to keep the podcast going. 
I want to thank all my donors from 2020. You were incredibly generous and your contributions allow me to have these conversations that I do. I also want to thank the organizations that sponsored whole episodes. Those don't happen very often and this year is even more difficult because I couldn't travel and that's generally when I get these sponsorships. But we did manage to do some remotely and these episode sponsorships are absolutely critical. Also, I want to thank my guests on the podcast. What an awesome lineup I had this year. I have guests recommended to me all year long And I was incredibly happy with those who came on. They are leaders in the field and doing some incredible work. And as I've said before, it's been a learning journey for me. Each year, I learn new things about this emerging and growing rapidly field of adaptation. It's only going to get bigger. And thanks to all my friends and colleagues behind the scenes offering ideas and support to what we're trying to accomplish here. And thanks to my intern, Mihira Shimano. She's been amazing. She created my newsletter and does the bulk of the work on that. And looks like she's going to continue with me going into 2021. Yay! And finally, thanks to you guys, my listeners. It is such a privilege to share these conversations with you. And I'm a broken record on this, but when I hear from a listener after they've listened to an episode and they share their own thoughts, it is so awesome. It allows me to understand who's listening, how they get value out of these conversations, and how I can adjust going forward. So please continue reaching out. Please connect on social media. It's all good. And I'd mentioned sponsoring an episode earlier. If your organization is interested in partnering on a specific podcast, let me know. There are many stories to tell on this emerging issue. Let's see if we can collaborate on a future episode. And as I mentioned many times before, I'm doing something new with streaming TV at Simpatico Studios. I'm sure many of you have questions about this, but check out the link in my show notes and how to learn more. Definitely sign up if you feel you have some adaptation work you want to share on a brand new streaming platform. Don't forget to check out the Podcast in the Classroom initiative we're doing. I've heard from many professors using America Adapts in their classroom. Consider using it more formally with some discussion guides that have been developed about 25 of my episodes. You can find those discussion guides on my website at americadapts.org. Yes, it's a personal mission to get more professors and teachers using Podcasts in the Classroom. And thanks to Kate Bishop. Bishop Williams for at the University of Waterloo for doing the work on that. She's volunteered on this for a couple of years now, and I am deeply grateful for all the effort that she puts into those things. Also, if you're interested in having me speak at a public or corporate event, please reach out. I know everything is sort of bonkers right now, but we're doing remote conferences and remote panels, remote workshops. So if you're interested, I do quite a bit of that. So love to hear from you. And don't forget to join the Facebook page and the Facebook community group. The group is private, but search for America Dabs and ask to join and I'll prove you right away. People are having conversations on there. I share sort of more personal updates on it. So definitely check it out. And again, I love hearing from you. Like I said, said earlier is such a highlight just to hear who you are if you're working in the space it just allows me to know who's getting value out of the podcast so definitely reach out i'm at americadaps at gmail.com send me an email okay adapters keep up the great work i'll see you next year